I've been looking forward to doing this podcast for a while. You are about to get into the Marty Pod. Hello, everybody. Pre-accident investigation safety moment. Thank you. No, no. What am I saying safety? This is not going to be a safety moment. That was just, uh, I don't know what that was. Uh, I freaked out. Oh, it was some freaking outness. This is a full-blown, golly gee, what an exciting day podcast. This is kind of an exciting, first of all, there's a special announcement today, so let's just get that out there. It's going to be exciting. Um, I hope you're happy because, man, the pressure has been pretty crazy to do this special announcement. Announcement. I cannot talk. And also, we're going to talk to Marty Stern from Colgate Palmolive, um, which is great because I always try to capture as many cool conversations as I can because I think we all have stuff to share. And it's so fun to talk to people who have, you know, these awesome roles, these awesome responsibilities, these giant global reach responsibilities, which makes, you know, for my case, being in charge of, you know, the stuff around my house, that's pretty much my span of control, um, seem awesome and crazy. How are you? How's it going? It is, um, it's it's just there's just a, an increased amount of uncertainty. Uh, I went to a meeting where they talked about monkeypox. It's I guess it's real. The name is remarkable, and that kind of gives you pause. But there's great concern there. Um, it looks like COVID is becoming more uh, infectious. Is that how's that? Po- I mean, I, I'm just I'm waiting any moment for bees to shoot out of light bulbs. I think that's really the next thing that's going to happen. I mean, I can't, I can't even imagine uh, what's worse. And the sad thing about that joke is that it'll probably happen. And there I'll be looking stupid because bees will be shooting out of my light bulbs and it'll attack me. And and that'll be the story that that's where we go. Okay. So I'm good. Everything's great. Lots of writing the BC club, um, which has been great. Um, uh, Gareth Locke wrote me a note. I don't really know how to respond, Gareth, back to your note, but it said that he was looking at this this thing Strava, which tracks how far you ride, but it draws a little picture with a red line on the map of what you've drawn. And Gareth asked me if I'm riding in a shape of a rat on purpose. And the quick answer is, of course, because who wouldn't? No, I'm not riding in the shape of a rat. How would you even do Like, how would you do that? That's... That would be crazy. Nobody's going to ride in the shape of a rat on purpose. That's just not going to happen. I mean, I guess it would happen. But if I were going to pick a rodent, I wouldn't pick rat. I'd probably pick the very cute um, squirrel. No, squirrels are kind of a Mickey Mouse. That's that's what I'd ride in. That shape, I think. That, that, that'd be the shape i choose. So here's the announcement. You've asked for this a bunch. So, and basically, I just feel beaten down. But I had a conversation with Bob uh, Edwards. I don't know if you know him, but he's a great fellow. And uh, we're going to do a Safety Differently workshop that's open to anybody who wants to take it. And so that's a, that's what the, been, the request has been. And I know it's hard uh, if you're a, a, a one-off or in a small organization. I mean, I know it's hard to get access to, to stuff or, I mean, you, it seems like it's difficult to do. And so there's been a lot of people that said, hey, can you do a workshop? Can you do an open workshop? And the quick answer is, yeah, we can do them. We haven't done them in years. 
partially because of the pandemic and partially because they're just a ton of like logistical work. I have great respect for people who do meetings because it's just cra- I mean, you, you know, you're constantly like negotiating what kind of sandwich tray uh, and when the cookies will be delivered. These are high level negotiations. I mean, this is big stuff, right? But anyway, the decision was made to have this. I contacted Bob right out of the shoot. He said, yo, he said, yes, I'll do it. And I think what we're going to do is we'll do a foundations class probably the first day. And you can take any of these days you want to. Then we'll do probably a specific class on learning. And then we'll do a two-day safety differently workshop where we'll really dig into, I, I would guess maybe you could call it advanced ideas, but they're they're really more applied ideas. And we'll use that safety differently framework to make it happen. And there may be a surprise guest. It could happen. Yes, it could. And and it's in negotiation right now with great desire. The meeting itself is towards the end of October. I'll give you the exact dates, but I didn't I didn't write them down, so I don't have them. But and it's held in Orlando. And the reason it's Orlando is because there was a lot of pressure to move it to the East Coast. And so that seemed like a good place to do it. There's tons of places to do meetings. Uh, there's also other stuff to do if you want to do other stuff. Um, so that is the plan so far. Towards the end of October, I'll get those exact dates for you. They'll come up because we'll talk about this again. In Orlando, at like an embassy suites with a big fat conference room in it. And it'll be four days. It looks like a Monday through Thursday because nobody wants to go to a workshop on Friday because why would you? Um and then the Monday will be foundations, Tuesday, probably some specific learning and probably, you know, a kind of a new understanding of what we're learning about learning because we're learning a lot about learning. He says using the word learning many times. And then the the final two days, the Wednesday, Thursday, will be advanced application and we'll really look at this idea of, of doing safety differently. We'll use use that framework and uh, you know what I'll give you a copy of the book you can have a copy of the book and I'll sign it for you I don't know I'm not going to sign my name I'll sign someone else's name but I'm glad to sign it for you so we can get that done and make that happen so put that on your calendar ping me at office Todd Conklin if you're interested I'm I'm super curious to see if people are interested in doing this I, I just it's there's so much push to get it done and I, I do feel like we haven't done it in a really long time so it's a great opportunity plus it might be fun to get back together so that'll be good I mean that'll be a good thing to do and it's Orlando so there'll be stuff to do you know so that it's it strikes me as a win 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 if you can use all those wins in the same order so that is the announcement stay tuned because there'll be more on this it's important to talk about until then though let's jump into this conversation I had with Marty. So Marty's great. And I've known him a really a long time because he's very active in the safety community. And he's active kind of in, he's, I would say he's an opinion leader. Um, so he's, he's got opinions and he's always kind of thinking ahead and he's got a series of really interesting operational challenges. I mean, it's very interesting to me that I had an old boss who used to say all the time, you can, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Well, it's interesting because Marty can I mean, that's that's exactly what he can do. Uh, he comes from the world of toothpasting tubes and lots of other stuff. So what I wanted to do was take a moment and talk to him because I think he gives 
he gives a really good understanding at that that more senior level of what it's like to think about safety in a, in a time of great uncertainty, because that's clearly the time we're in. But also, even more importantly, he, he really gives us a pretty good overview of where he's thinking about moving to on the next move. And I think that's actually really interesting. To seeing where these guys are, what their heads are in, what they're thinking about is really powerful stuff. So so that's the conversation. I think you're going to enjoy it immensely. It's uh it's a it's a nice one. It's a perfect conversation for the summer and uh I defy you not to learn something. So I'm throwing down on you a little bit. This is a challenge. Try to not learn something. Until then, let me shut up. Remember end of August Orlando conference that's coming up. Thank you for listening. Thanks for being a part of the pod. I cannot believe how the numbers grow every week. It's kind of weird because we talk about safety stuff, but it seems to have a little following. There's uh, always new people jumping in, which you're welcome. I'm glad you're here. And uh, let's listen to the conversation with Marty. Here we go. This is the pod for today. Okay. Right now? Good to go? Yeah, we're on. Sure. Uh, hi, Marty Stern, uh, Global Director of EHS for Colgate-Palmolive. I've uh, been with Colgate for 23-plus years in a variety of EHS and operational responsibilities. I think the operation stuff really helps to give you a different perspective as you get into a more senior EHS role. Uh, in the operations position, I ran a toothpaste plant. So you got quality, you got EHS, you got finance, you got payroll, you got everything all at once and the most important thing at any given point in time is when an operator wants to talk to you about an issue a problem things going well things at home and that's when you have to drop everything and your position changes so as you get into you know a more senior ehs position i think the the feedback for the site guys is you have to listen and you got to talk to people um super important and it's hard to listen i mean it's a, well, that's that came out wrong. It's not hard to listen. It's hard to be in a position where you can hear stuff. Don't you think at a senior level? Absolutely. Uh, when I recent travels was at a Tennessee plant that I used to work at, and you know half the fun is talking to operators, and you hear everything from you know I'm a grandmother now to I stop smoking and gain weight. Wow. To we're we're struggling with performance because we're having issues with this new tube we're running. And you pick up a lot of nuggets of information, and then when you have to have a tough discussion, whether it's operational quality or EHS, you have trust from the people that are on the floor. What brought you from ops to safety? I was actually went safety into ops. My background is industrial hygiene, ah. environmental tox, CIH, Masters of Public Health. So um, pre-Colgate, I worked for AT&T and then consulting before that. So when I came to Colgate, I assumed... It's going to be EHS, you know, to the end of the line. And probably four or five years into uh, the Colgate experience, I got an opportunity to do a short-term assignment working for our global fabric hair fragrance coordinator, and I literally knew nothing about it. Um, and it was a, the, one of the coolest jobs I've ever done because you're working with uh, fragrance ideation for new fabric hair softeners um, and detergents and you're working with fragrance houses, you're working with R and D and ultimately you got to push it out to manufacturing, whatever you come up with. So I would go into these meetings with, you know, the R and D and fabric care, uh, fragrance people. And you're dealing with like Jivadon and Ferminish and IFF. And they would come in, you'd go into a room and it'd have like red, green, purple, all these colors. And then you'd have things to touch. 
and then you'd have all these sensorial things, and oh, then cool. you start smelling stuff, and they'd say, well, what do you smell? I'm like, this is just overbearing <laughs> stuff. Like, no, no, no. You have to detect a note of green and a, a note of lavender and pergamon. I'm like, ah, I don't detect any. This stuff is just <laughs> overbearing. Um, but it was good because because I was so bad at you know the, the the fragrance part of smelling it, I was able to help them you know come up with strategies on how we're going to push it to manufacturing, optimize the fragrance, package it, and even came up with some you know marketing campaigns which I was the worst. But the whole objective was got out of VHS and was pretty good at something that I had no thought that I would ever do. And then there. Uh, ran a technology center and then they ran operations in the, the toothpaste plant. That's and I, such, think, I mean, that's a really compelling story because for the most part, that story is almost always told the opposite of that, that I started in ops, moved to safety. The idea that you came from really IH, that, that, the sort of technical, I always call you guys the brains in the outfit, right? <laughs> well, that's true. Right. Right. Into operations probably actually was a huge advantage for safety, obviously, but it was probably also a huge advantage for operations. You brought a much different perspective into that. Well, I think from a Colgate standpoint, we like to kind of cross-pollinate uh-huh. people, um, whether it's ops to EHS or EHS out, because if you're going to be in a senior position at some point in time, you have to understand the perspective of the, the uh, as you push out more requirements or elements or you need to pull from the sites you need to be cognizant of what they're going through at any given point in time and covid was a perfect example we kind of pulled back any you know new criteria new requirements and really went into a support mode knowing that our plants were fully operational throughout the pandemic so so that's that whole uncertainty thing is really interesting to me at a bunch of levels what is it what is it that took you guys at Colgate on the journey you're on? Because you're clearly on a safety maturity journey. You've probably always been on one, so that's not unusual. But I'm curious, what's making you look at things differently? Um, I think probably for us, if you look at rates, our rates are almost to a point where it becomes inconsequential. Um, but we historically haven't had a big impact on a serious incidents. So I think probably four or five years ago, we started to shift to focus on serious incidents. And I think from a senior leadership standpoint now, our leadership gets it. Um, what's that, you know, what's they that, understand. What's it look like when you say leadership gets it? Um, not so concerned about individual events, recordables, lost work days. That, but if there's a PCIF or SIF event, it really gets her attention. Um, you know, they're asking the right questions, what control was not successful, how was the employee, is there anything I can do to provide support, whereas, you know, you go back 10, 15 years ago, why did they do it, you know, who failed, and the whole narrative has changed, and it's more about, you know, what can we do to support and what can we do to bolster controls so that, you know, we have the right redundancies in place, and again, we have a failure. How'd you get them to change that narrative? How'd you get them to shift that? That's, That's a really important question. It's a good question. I think just over time, it's more about people and how they grew up in the company. You know, if I go back to when I started at Colgate, it was very kind of autocratic, you know, command and control, um, you know, where if there was an incident, it was somebody was going to get hammered. Right. As we've evolved over, you know, the last 15, 20 years, it's more about understanding what we can do from a prevention standpoint. And I say prevention, I'm talking controls. Right. Um, you know, I don't think that, uh, 
you know, we're 100% there, but I think the leadership understands the uh, criticality of controls and that people make mistakes. And once that light bulb goes on, I mean, it makes your journey a lot easier to move forward. I agree. And you can't, it's really kind of hard to go back. Once they sort of see the new way, it's hard to go back. But I'm so interested in how you got them to, did you just have different conversations? Did you just, did you just talk about different things with them? I mean, if I, if I think probably what was the, the, the light bulb going on, yeah, on for us, we had a, division vice president who now is our chief sustainability or excuse me chief supply chain officer um i'll never forget i was in corporate i just moved from plan ehs to a corporate health and safety role um and my boss at the time you know presents stats and you know is patting himself on the back we've done so well you know, from our latin american division stands up who are the people and, you know, the head of EHS, look, what do you mean? <laughs> so you got all these great rates. Who are the people? Who, who are you patting yourself on the back that had a lost workday accident or a serious incident or even a recordable rate? Tell me the names. And the head of EHS kind of like, uh, blah, blah, blah. I don't know who they are. He's like, that's the problem. Wow. Because you, you're patting yourself on the back for these great performance rates, but you're not understanding that this has a human impact that impacts the worker, impacts his coworkers, impacts their family. And the more serious the event, the more critical the understanding is of that this has a human impact. Wow. And I was like, this is, this is heavy stuff. And, you know, it, it kind of resonated with me that, you know, when you look at rates, embedded in that rates are people, coworkers, and family that are having an impact, especially if it's something that's serious. Right. And, and I think dropping that into a meeting as timely as that was dropped I mean, it's hard to ignore it. And what I like about it is you could even take that the other direction. Who is it that's actually making this go well? Who are those yeah. people as well? Who, who's out there making these rates what they are? And I think that's that's super interesting. What do you guys see as the future? What, what What's your – because we're in the midst of all this uncertainty, economic, there's health, world health security. I mean, there's just a lot going on right now. Uh, I mean, when, when I think about the future, at least you know from our perspective – a lot of automation, you know, some of the, his, you know, traditional historical risk points, you know, ergonomics are going to be automated with robotics and collaborative robots. There's going to be a much closer interaction be between people and automation. Um, you know, we're highly automated right now already, but going forward, it's going to be less people working in a plan and a lot more robotics, autonomous vehicles, um, you know, very people-light systems. And with that comes a whole bunch of other potential risks and hazards that we're going to have to work through. I was just going to ask you that question because we know that every time you remove one hazard, every time you, you mitigate one hazard, you introduce new hazards into the system. What do you what, what are you seeing in the changing hazard picture for you guys now? I mean, I think really uh, how people interface with automation, I think we expect the automation to work, but we know from history that Everything that's supposed to work as planned sometimes does something you don't expect. So right, most of the I time. I think we're, yeah. we're, we're going to keep a real close eye on it. And, you know, to me, this gets into really observing work and not assuming things are going to go as planned. I think for us, that's probably continues to be an opportunity observe work when it's going right. Um, I think we're great when there's an issue or problem. But I think as we start to move to this heavy automation and, you know, people like plants that, 
our supervisory staff, our area leads, our plant leads really have to understand what's going on in actuality versus what they think is going on. Absolutely. How are you getting people at a global level to observe what's normal? Um, I think the push is we added as a management system element that, you know, observe, and I think we're going to even put one in our standard daily meeting um, that, you know, what did you observe on precursor-type tasks and what did you observe um, or what is a critical task of the day that was performed and how did it go? So we're going to start pushing it out through our normal lexicon of meetings and this way they'll come to the meeting, well, we we had a lift where we were moving equipment from point A to point B. It went well. Here's why it went well. Or it didn't go well. The rigging got hung up and we almost dropped a $2 million piece of equipment. So we start them to think about what and why they need to look and observe work. I mean, I think that's brilliant. And that dialogue change, I mean, that's much different than asking them what's wrong or where the deviations are. Or It's almost if you look at a stoplight chart, you're sort of taking the emphasis off the red and putting the emphasis on the green. Are, are ops people okay with that? I mean, I think we're so programmed to focus on defect. Right. Um, and it, and I don't know if it's from growing up that people were punished and, you know, only got called out when things were bad. But I think it, it's programming change, you know, how people are oriented that look at when things are going well. That's probably the most important thing you're going to do versus you pop out when there's an operational issue or a nonconformance or, you know, a safety incident. But the bulk of the time things go well, and let's understand why so that we can build on it and embed it in those things that are going well. There's also going to be some nuggets of information where you have some potential watchouts that are going to go unnoticed or undetected. You know, in a perfect example, you know, when you're rigging and moving equipment, every now and then you have a slippage or the rigging isn't properly positioned and the equipment slides with no incident. The, the one time a person is there and gets pinned against a piece of equipment and breaks a bone or gets injured, you miss that opportunity right. to observe how work is performed. Are you guys good at learning as a company? Getting better. Um, I think probably it's it's something that we need to continue to evolve on. I think um, for operational stuff, we do well. Um, I'm not sure for you know health and safety, we're there. Um quality i think probably the same it's something we have to continue to evolve and develop how do you see that evolving are, are you thinking about that i mean is that on your radar screen absolutely we're, we're changing our you know traditional rca process and even changing the name to event reviews nice um and i got some questions some great questions that we're training our people on uh from a uh, one of our suppliers and you know it's taken out of the five why approach and and you know, having an opportunity where you have an incident or an event that really it's a learning opportunity. Um, and I, I think when we, we spoke to you a couple of months ago that we talked about a great example, one of our LATAM plants where which, what was designed to be a disciplinary issue, a safety technician observed somebody standing on the top step of a ladder climbing onto a roof to do maintenance of a compressor. Safety technician said, hey, we're going to have discipline. I got this guy. Look at this picture. And the EHS leader did one of the most mature things I think, you know, we've ever done in EHS. He said, let's get everybody in and talk and learn. Nice. And, and as they peeled the onion back, um, she encountered multiple times 
these individuals were, were taking risk. As she sat with the technicians and said, hey, you know, tell me about the work you do. And they all went into the room thinking there was going to be a discipline and they were going to get written up and it was going to be a performance opportunity. But as she talked to them and, you know, gained their trust that this wasn't, you know, a discipline hearing, this was let's learn and how we can help you guys and tell us what you do so that we can understand it and ended up putting in some great fixes, got rid of the ladder because they had to go up to this particular roof usually once or twice a week. So they literally put in a work platform, found out there were other areas that they had to access and ended up having, you know, I call it risk reduction meetings versus discipline. And, and I think we're using that and embedding that in how we operationalize human and organizational performance. This is a great example. What turned out to be, Instead of discipline, an opportunity where the EHS team found about eight or nine significant risks that would have went undetected until there was an incident. That's so perfect. We're, we're, we're really leveraging that because I think it's an example that you know is real, and our people you know want quantifiable, tangible examples. And it was great. I thought. Oh, that's perfect. So, what what hints, what lessons learned would you share with young safety people? zooming into the profession because it's an exciting time to be in the profession there's no question about that I and mean, probably i think the the young early in career professionals are probably super technical and super competent on the textbook stuff but i think the ehs profession really is about people at, at all levels um, i get you know you got to do your senior management stuff and senior leadership pre- presentations and discussions but understanding you know what makes a shop floor tick I think is critical. Um, you know, when I was in plant positions, I thought the most important thing was always to get with and understand the most outspoken negative person and align with him or her to understand, you know, what's driving them and win them over. You know, talking to the happy-go-lucky wants to tell you everything is easy, but when you confront the the loud, outspoken, border not obnoxious person and understand what they're issues are and how you can support them makes a big difference. And I think the tendency for a lot of EHS folks is to only get out on the floor when there's something wrong, whether it's a spill or an incident, and it just doesn't generate the trust and understanding. And you quite often pick up a lot of nuggets of information when you're out on the floor talking about normal stuff. There is something incredibly comforting about Hearing people talk in normal conversation, not special, not weird, not freaking out, not trying to impress, about studying normal work. Because really, the more we push on that, and the more you hear these guys talk about this at, at, at big levels, um, the more interesting it is to realize that we're starting to understand that if we're going to have some impact, we're going to have to look at how normal work is done on a normal basis. Again, can't say it enough times. I say it all the time. Waiting for an accident to happen to to define normal work is just, it's been historically dumb. D-U-M-B, dumb. And it's had some consequences. It's, it's cost money, time, treasure, probably lives. And so it's really encouraging to hear people talk about this in a much different vein. And just normally talk about it. Just talk about, you know, we go out, we identify the deficiency. Instead of punishing it into oblivion, we had a discussion with the workers and what we learned was almost nothing about worker behavior. What we learned are there are five distinct areas of improvement and we can do all five. And of course that is really what improvement looks like. That's, 
That's the goal. That's the notion of deliberately getting better. Because that idea of deliberate improvement, which has been hard recently, I've had some really interesting pushbacks um, from organizations who who uh, have been told they need to get help immediately. So they'll call me kind of desperately and say, you know, that's, we, we need you, we need you. And I'll say things to them and they'll say, you know, well, it's uh, like this, the safety culture is the worker's problem. It's not the senior leadership problem. I actually had a leader tell me, I don't do this work, so I can't really influence the culture. Oh, hello, doctor. Yeah, it's your culture, baby. It's you. You are the dude. You're the CEO. Shut up. Here we go. You got to influence the culture. That's your whole job, among other things. But that's where we go on that. Long story short, it's been a really interesting uh, couple months for me. And, And I'm sure I'll tell you more about it. Well, we'll talk about it in October. We'll have a... Good chin wag in October on all the weird stuff that's happening because there's a bunch of interesting stuff to talk about. That is for sure. Until then, though, um, thank you, Marty. That was a brilliant podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of it. Learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Try to squeeze fun in wherever possible. Uh, Be kind to each other. That's important. Take care of each other. Check in on each other. And for goodness sakes, above all else, be safe. (music) 